0: hey grab your bibles if you have those and open up to deuteronomy chapter 12 you're going to start at the end of chapter 12 if you need a bible there's some on the chairs there around you we're going to start with deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 29 If you are using the Bibles from the chairs there around you, page 122, or if the Bible you have has a flame on the front, page 157. Page 122 or 157. Deuteronomy chapter 12, and then we'll take us through um, chapter 13 as we continue to truck along. So when you think about different organizations, particularly organizations who are um, real big on security, Right? So you might think military, law enforcement, three-letter agencies, all those kind of things. Right? Uh, one of the things that, that they're, they're focused on is, where is the security threat? Where, where's the threat that, that's going to come and take them off mission? Or where's the threat that's going to come and distract them so that they don't accomplish the things that are set before them that are necessary or that they believe are necessary for security? right? And so when you start doing threat assessments, then you you usually break that down into two broad categories. You say there's outside threats, the things that might come from the outside, right? Our our enemies may be in a certain country, or we might be saying certain types of people or certain organizations, so there's an outside threat. But then you also have to consider the possibility that there might be an inside threat, people from the inside who are working to undermine or um, go against what's going on so that they might bring down or help someone else, right? Outside threats, inside threats. Now, the people of God, we are not a national defense organization by any stretch of means, but the people of God are a group of people that are called to a very exclusive, very specific focus and a very specific mission right? We are called to give our allegiance. We've seen this a few weeks ago. We are called to give our allegiance to God and God alone, the God of the Bible, right? We are called to not divide that allegiance. We are, we are instructed not to, to bring other types of gods in and worship them alongside God. In fact, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we spent a, um, a week or two on it, and, and we keep going back to it, but it's called the Shema. It's really the heart of the, the book of Deuteronomy, where, where Moses says to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That leaves no room in there for the people of God to worship any other God. So therefore, if anything or anyone comes along and tries to pull us away or tries to draw us towards worshiping other gods or away from worshiping the one true God, that's a threat right? And that's what we're, we're, we're looking at this morning. As Moses tries to tell the people, there's going to be a day when you're going to be in the land and you're going to be at peace. You're going to be at rest. All your enemies will have been overcome. And in that day, he says, watch out, watch out. So here's where we're going this morning. The people of God must not allow themselves to be drawn away from God. Now that's pretty broad, The people of God must not allow themselves to be drawn away from God. What we're gonna see as we go through is Moses is gonna talk about an outside threat and he's gonna talk about three inside threats. And and the the issue that we're gonna wrestle with is what do those look like to us today? Because Moses has some specific things in mind as he thinks about this, but maybe we're gonna read those things and go, well, that's so long ago, but what I'm hoping to show you today is here's some of the threats that are facing us today that fit these categories. So the people of God must not allow themselves to be drawn away from God. And we're going to start with, first, the outside threat. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. The outside threat. When you get into the land, and all the people have been driven out, and you inherit the land that God is giving you, When you you start to live in their houses that they have prepared and you're living off of the land that they have worked. Remember, God says he's given all of this to them, right? Because he's keeping his promise to Abraham from so many years ago. He says, when you get in there, remember last week we saw you need to destroy everything that they did to worship their gods. You need to destroy everything so their names are wiped out. So now, assuming that they're going to encounter places of worship to Baal, places of worship to Asherah. They're gonna gonna find altars and pillars and carved images, right? As they come across those things, Moses says this, verse 30, take care that you're not ensnared to following them. Because the temptation's gonna be, as I look at these things and, and they're foreign to me, and you've been living in this land for so long and you've figured out how to work it out in this land, how did you worship your God? So that I might do the same thing because it worked for you. You got rain. You convinced this God to give you rain in the right times. Maybe if I do the same thing you did, it'll work for me. He says, be careful that you don't get ensnared and follow them, asking about how they worship their gods with the purpose that you wanna do the same. He says in verse 31, you should not worship the Lord your God in that way. God has given his people up to this point. He has given them very specific ways that they're supposed to worship him. He's given him instructions so that they know how are we supposed to offer sacrifices? At what points in the year are we supposed to gather together? They have all of these instructions. And so Moses tells the people, you shall not worship the Lord your God in the same way that all these other nations worship their gods. It must be distinct. It must be different. And then he goes on and he says because They worship their gods in abominable ways. Now that's a a biblical word, by the way. It's a descriptor, but it's also a biblical word and it's used for a variety of things. One of the things that it's used for is what he describes here. They burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. They offer child sacrifices. Now I've told you, Molech, I believe it's Molech, Um, uh, one of the Babylonian gods, we know from archaeology, we found um, statues, large statues of Molech with his hands out like this. We know from some of the writings how they participated in this type of worship. Now, I'm gonna tell you something very graphic and descriptive because I think you need to hear it, right? Because the Bible is too often sanitized and then we don't get the full effect of what, what God is reacting to. Molech's hands, as he's made out of metal, were then heated up, the fire was was put inside of the statue so that the statue was heated up, the hands were heated up. And so then they would bring their child, whichever one they're offering for sacrifice, and put that child in the hands of Molech. And because those hands of that statue were so hot, the baby would catch on fire. And they would be offering a sacrifice. Now you say to yourself, we don't do that today. means other countries, maybe third world countries, we do that today. No, we do that today. It's just more sanitized. We do that today, it's, it's, just, it's just not as overt. And it's, instead, it's packaged as healthcare, abortion, when we put children to death. Now, you say, no, 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 That's just, this is getting political. It's not a political issue, it is a moral issue that has been made into a political issue. But listen, here's the thing about abortion. You say, well, this is a woman's right and who am I to tell you what to do? Well, I'm not telling you what to do, I'm just gonna tell you what the scriptures tell you what to do for one. But but to you, we we've been sold this lie and this deception that this is about reproductive rights. But then you see the temple of Satan come out as one of the main lobbyists for abortion to remain legal, and then they come out and they say the unspoken part out loud when they say the abortion is part of our acts of worship, therefore they appeal to the First Amendment in order to keep the abortions legal so that they can practice their faith. How does that hit us? So, so there are still people, even though maybe every woman who has had an abortion, they don't think about it necessarily in this way, there are people who do. And there are demons who are receiving glory each time it takes place. And that is an abominable thing. And so that's an outside threat that leads God's people away. And, and Moses is saying to them, you shouldn't do the things that they do. Now, I know I'm, I'm stirring some stuff up for some of you. Listen to me. Let, me. let me come right back around and say this. I know there are people who've had abortion. And maybe you had them at a time where you didn't know any different. Maybe you were, you were led into believing that it was right and okay and not a moral issue. Or, or maybe you were, you were at a different point in your life and now you see it differently. And I'm gonna say to you, there's grace. There's mercy but we need to see things as God sees them. And so as I, as I look at them, I can't excuse what I've done in my past, but if I've done something in my past that now I've come to the conclusion based on scripture that that was sin. I maybe did it in ignorance. I, I maybe did it in rebellion, but I wasn't part of the kingdom of God, but now I am. I confess that sin. I renounce it. I, Lord, I, I know I did this at this one point. I, I now see it differently because I see it as you see it. It's sin. It's murder. I renounce that. I receive your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. There's mercy for that. There's no sin that is beyond the death of Christ, right? There's no sin that Christ did not die for right? But as long as I keep these things in the dark, the enemy has power. You know why? Because Satan, that means accuser, he's going to be accusing you. Hey, you can't go public. If people really knew what you did, they'd never let you serve in that place. If people really knew what was in your past, they would look at you very differently. They, they would stop relating to you. That's the accuser. If you're a child of God, a son or daughter of God, you've trusted in Christ, that's the accuser. He wants you to stay in the dark, but God calls his children into the light, not so that he can smite us, O oh mighty smiter, right? But so that in the light, we might receive the faithful and just God cleansing us from all unrighteousness, right? That's God, come into the light. You go back to the garden, Adam and Eve. He's he, he sinning, he's now walking in the garden like he did and, and Adam is now hiding and God says, where are you, Adam? Not because God did not know, but because God calls his children into the light, whereas his children want to stay in the dark. Because we think if I'm in the dark, either God won't see. If I'm in the dark, then, I, I, then maybe I can kind of kind of get by with, without being responsible for the sin in my life. And yet God knows the longer we stay in the dark, the longer that sin festers. The longer we stay in the dark, the longer that the enemy has a hole and a snare on us. And God wants his people free. God wants his people to walk before him openly, honestly, vulnerably, as he goes to work on us by the spirit of God that he gives us. Amen. And so we might encounter some of these things today. The other thing I think about outside threats in our day, we'll see if I can explain this. Um, we talk about pluralism a lot. We talk about pluralism. The, the idea is this, that, that many different religions, even though they might believe opposite things, can all exist alongside one another in the same, let's say, you know, America at the moment, in the same place without affecting one another. We, we say that uh, you can hold to your beliefs and practice your religion, and someone else can hold to a different set of beliefs and practice their religion, and we can be a pluralistic society, and no one religion is gonna be imposed on the other. And there's some First Amendment things that maybe get into some of that as well, right? But, but we think we think that that's actually a possibility. And it's not. Because no matter how we do it, if we have different religions all being uh, practiced around in the same place, one religion will eventually be imposed upon someone else right? And, and, and it may be the one that we want to be imposed upon someone else. And then at other times, it may be another religion that's imposed that we don't want. But pluralism is not a biblical reality. In fact, God calls his people not to be pluralistic. He calls them to do away with everything. And so if you think that living in a pluralistic society is ultimately a good thing, I'm going to say to you, it's not ultimately a good thing. It's what we have there can be benefit to me as a believer in Christ here in America in a pluralistic society. I might be given more freedoms than, than, than maybe, say, in Iran or Iraq, which is not pluralistic, right? But is instead imposing one religion. And yet at the same time, that pluralism can become a snare to me because all these other religions being practiced around me, I might start to get curious. I might start to say, "Oh, I like the way you worship, man. You, I, I like, I like that thing that you." I'm, oh, I was about to bust down a yoga pose. Let's spare you guys. Um, let's 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 do that a little bit, and and I can do that, and I can bring it in and use it in my worship of God, right? We 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 take things that we see in other things, or we listen to people who worship God in a different way, or they worship other gods, and we think, "Well, you're a nice person. Your life seems to be put together. Hey, this has been working for you. You're you're quite wealthy. Your family seems good." I want to pursue that, and it becomes a snare. At some point in a pluralistic society, one religion will ultimately impose itself over the others. Now, if, God is the, God of, if the God of the Bible is the creator of all things and all the world, then his ways should be imposed upon everyone, right? But we're, we're, we, we have to be careful that we don't go and impose in such a way that it becomes like a caliphate, right? Where we are, we are forcing people to do things. But, but here's what I want to say to you. Ultimately, one day... Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. One person gets that that response right and so this pluralistic society, you have to have your flags up. you cannot be lax, you cannot be apathetic in a pluralistic society. And And it could be argued that we're not even pluralistic anymore. We're more of a melting pot, which means all the religions start to bleed together and and start to mix together, creating something new. And that we might call moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, it's about being good. Therapeutic, makes me feel good. Deism, there might be a God out there and he's distant, right? So we're going to do things that might appease that God, but we're not living with a personal God. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Arguably, it's the official religion of our country, okay? Pluralism can be a dangerous thing to the people of God because it can ensnare us. So you have to have your antennae up. You don't get curious about other religions so that you might practice their ways. If you do study religions, and I'm, and I'm saying it needs to be wisdom if you do. If you do study other religions, it needs to be with caution and not so that I might follow their ways but that I might know why their ways are opposed to God's ways, perhaps. But even in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus rebukes people for studying the deep things of Satan. And so we've got to be careful when and if I'm studying other religions, what's my purpose? That's the outside threat. There's three inside threats that he gives us. And I'm going to summarize a lot of this stuff, but I've highlighted some of the key points. Look with me at chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and you shall serve and hold fast to him. The first inside threat is from religious leaders. I tell you it's an inside threat because dreamer of dream, a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you. The idea is this. It's from among your own people. Someone rises up, and they are proclaiming to be a prophet. They, they, they actually do have dreams or give words of prophecy. And look, look at this. They give signs and wonders, and the sign or the wonder comes true. It is entirely possible, and it happens that someone who is a false prophet or false teacher or a false dreamer of dreams does signs and wonders, and they do come true. They do things that are legitimately supernatural. It happens. So just because someone says, I'm speaking on behalf of God, or just because someone does something supernatural or they say they're gonna do it and it comes to pass, you and I cannot be led astray just simply because what they said would happen, happened. You and I cannot be led astray just because there were signs and wonders that took place. Here's the test. If they say to you, even if signs and wonders come to pass, if they say to you, let's go after other gods, gods which you have not known, Let's go and serve them. He says, You should not follow that. So, even though someone, a religious leader, a pastor, a teacher, a a prophet of some kind, a, a dreamer of dreams, or a charismatic leader in any kind of capacity, they get up and they're able to say things to you that nobody else knew. Listen, that happens. There are, there are other supernatural powers at work and they can say things to you that no one else knows. Now, we covered that in our Battleground series, right? But, but if someone does that, you should not be so easily led astray because someone told you the secrets of your heart, because someone did something supernatural. You should not let that be the only test. Instead, what's the content? What's the message that they're saying? Are they drawing you to God or are they drawing you away from God? And he says, if they do these things, And yet they say, go after other gods. You shall not listen to their words because it's a test from the Lord your God to know whether or not you love him and him only. Instead, the instruction is walk after the Lord your God, fear him, serve him, follow his commandments. And here's what they're supposed to do. If someone does rise up from among them, someone who's got words of prophecy of some kind or dream dreams and they tell them to go astray, here's what they should do. Verse five, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. And the reason he should be put to death is because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Israel was a theocracy at this point. Israel was a theocracy, which means they, they had Moses as their, their leader, humanly speaking, but they were directly ruled by their God. Yahweh. They were directly ruled by him. At this point, they have no king, right? Later, a king's going to come. They have Moses, the mediator, Moses, the prophet, right? But they have no king, no ruler. That comes later, 1 Samuel chapter 8, when we see them say, hey, give us a king like all the other nations. But they're a theocracy, which means they are ruled directly by God. And so this penalty of death, that's a serious thing. Why does God get so severe? Because there's no other God, the, the highest being that is, that is out there in all of creation, the creator God, demands that people worship him. And he is right to demand it. And there is no other God that should be worshipped because there's no other God that's higher than him. He is the creator of all things. All these other gods, little g gods, they are created by God. They're spiritual beings who are in rebellion against God. And so when people worship them, even if they veil themselves as gods say like Baal or Kamosh or Molech, Malek, that these are still created spiritual beings who are in rebellion against God. So when the people of God or the creation of God worship something else that's been created by God, instead of the creator, that's high treason. That is high treason against the king of the universe. Now, if we were living in, a country where there was a a monarch or um, maybe a, a king or queen or maybe a dictator, tyrant, whatever, one person ruling with a heavy hand or with all the authority, and we rebelled against them and we followed some other leader, you better believe you're going to be put to death. You're going to believe that the rebellion is going to be squashed. You better believe that it's not going to be tolerated. It's going to be taken seriously. That's humanly speaking how much more when the creation of God who was created to bring the one true God glory in all that we say and do, how much more when his people go against him and worship other gods. Furthermore, how much more when those people that God has redeemed out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, how much more when they go and worship other gods, little g, that did not redeem them, that did not bring them out of slavery, but instead they're giving credit to those other gods whom the one true God created. That's high treason against the king of the universe. Death, you shall put him to death. You shall not tolerate him, he says. It's serious. The insider threat among among the people could come from religious leaders. Just because someone says they're Christian, you should not take them at their word. You should test everything. Someone says, I'm a Christian pastor. Then you should listen to their words and watch their life. And if someone says, uh, this is in the Bible, you need to say where, show me, or you need to say where so you can go look it up. Just because someone says, this is a Christian event, this is a Christian thing, you should not take them at their word. Listen, I wish you could, but we live in a world that is highly deceptive and the world is is the system that is ruled over by Satan, right? First First John 5, 19, we belong to God, but the whole world lies in the power of God of the evil one. You cannot just take people at their word because people will deceive you. People are sinful at their core. So if someone says to you, this is in the Bible, I want to see it for myself. And even if it's in the Bible, I want to then see the context to make sure that the way it's being taught or the way it's being understood is right in the context. Because I can take any anything that I want, any pursuit I want to pursue, any pleasure, anything that I want to do, and I can find support for it in the Bible. All I got to do is find a verse, pull it out of context, and say, see, this is how I do that, and make that verse mean what it was never intended to mean. I can support anything that I want to do from the Bible, but when we've got people that are false teachers, they're prophets, they're dreamers, right? Modern day, we might say they're evangelists, right? They're, they're people that have a platform, and they're teaching supposedly Christian things, If these people are calling good what God calls evil, I must not tolerate it. I must purge the evil from among me. I am not talking about teachers who we might have a differing of opinion on on secondary and tertiary things. Most end times things, for instance, we can have discussions about that. I say most because if you deny that Jesus is coming back in bodily form, we may not have um, a discussion on that and still get along, right? That is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. But most end times views, timing, uh, what things look like, there's, there's some room for discussion. We don't necessarily need to divide over that. We don't necessarily need to purge the evil from among us because someone has a different end times view than, than you or maybe um, secondary tertiary issues, things that maybe one church practices this way and another church practices this way. We, we might have some room for discussion, right? I'm not talking about those kind of things. Denominational divides. And I, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about big, high-level picture if someone calls good what God calls evil. If someone is teaching um, for you to walk away from the Lord, to do the things that he says are abominable, those are the people that we must purge from among us among us. And what that looks like today, I need to stop listening to them. I need to stop reading their books. I need to stop watching their videos. I need to stop using whatever they're putting out curriculum-wise. I need to stop sending money to them, whatever it is, right? The inside threat for the people of God can come from within. You must test everything. This is the beauty of it. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been placed in you and he dwells in you. He never leaves you he is always with you. Now, the question is, how, how much are you aware of that? That's based on how we live our lives in obedience to God. How close are we to God? But the Spirit never leaves you. We're told that the Spirit is our teacher. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for 40 years have the same Holy Spirit as those who have been walking with the, with the Lord for four months. And so there is no limit on what the Holy Spirit can reveal to someone. So someone walking with the Lord for four months might come to an understanding because the Spirit has led them that way that someone 40 years walking has never seen. And it's right because the Spirit of God is showing them that in the Scriptures, right? The same Holy Spirit can do that. But you have the same Holy Spirit that I have, which means you too can test everything that comes before you. And you too must be running everything through a filter and asking Lord, help me to know if something's not right. Help me not to be deceived. Help me to have my flags off. Even if you don't know why it's wrong, Lord, just help me to know. And if it feels off or if something doesn't sound right, go back and check it. If they're saying this is in the Bible, go find it, right? If they're saying that based on this verse, this is why I give permission for people to live this way. Go look at that verse and read the before and after paragraph and then read the chapters and then just read the entire book and see if that's what that person was actually trying to say. Insider threat could come from religious leaders. Don't be fooled. Next, insider threat could come from family and friends. This is a hard one. Look with me at verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. These are the closest relationships that we experience in this earth, speaking family and friends. Your siblings, your own children, your spouse a friend who's like a brother or a sister, they're they're like your own soul, if even one of them entices you to follow after other gods and away from the Lord, Moses says to his people, don't do it. Moses is capturing what Jesus just reiterates, that when it comes to the people of God, the allegiance to God is above every other allegiance, even biological, even the closest friend that you may have, if the closest friend or your own children or your spouse or, or your, 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 your brother or sister, your siblings, if any of them say to you, hey, it's okay for you to live this way. Hey, why don't you come participate in this with us or that with us? You must not do it. And Moses says even further, you should not yield to them. You shouldn't listen. You shouldn't give them pity. Because that's, that's what we would do, right, is, hey, you're my, you're my own child, and so my, my sympathy is going to be with you. I'm going to pity you. He says, don't do that. And he says, don't even spare them, and don't hide it. Don't conceal it. This is hard. Now, look what Jesus did. I'm going to jump you to Matthew chapter 10. This is how Jesus said this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Wait a minute, but I thought, oh, I thought that was part of the Christmas story, you know, that... Okay, no, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's hard. But sometimes family and friends can lead us away from the Lord. And we give them special concession. We give them special pity or compassion. And we even cover it over. But it can lead us astray. Moses, to to the people that were under the theocracy at that point, he says you should kill them. Verse nine, your hand shall, in fact, your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death. That's, that's how seriously God takes his people, the allegiance to him. That's how seriously God takes it when his people rebel against him. You shall be the first to put his hand, uh, put, your, put him to death, your hand against him. And act with the hand of all the people, you shall stone him to death with stones. Why? Because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God. And he says again, the same God who brought you out of Egypt and delivered you from slavery. That's why. He's bringing you out of following the Lord. He's causing you to rebel against the very one who's redeemed you. Insider threat could come from family. That's hard. It happens. It happens often. Maybe more often than we're willing to to admit. The last insider threat is from what I'm going to just call the broader faith community. The broader faith community. Look with me. Verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has done, been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to death. I'm gonna stop there. Here's the thing. The people of Israel, they've settled in the land. The enemies have been driven out. They're now at rest. They're at peace, right? The conquest has already happened. When you get to that spot and you've been settled in the land, and now you hear one of your cities, one of your brothers, your, 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 your tribe, fellow tribe members, they have a city that you hear rumors that they've been led astray. People have come and risen up in that city, and they've led the entire city astray. He says the first thing you need to do is you need to do a thorough investigation. This is, a, this, is a, this is as broad a category as he's gonna get into. You need to investigate that. Is it true? Is it going beyond just the people who rose up or a few people? Is it in fact the whole city? And if in your investigation, you find out the whole city is, then you've gotta put that city and he's gonna say devoted to destruction. But before we get there for a moment, here's how I kind of think maybe this might apply to us because we don't we don't live in tribes. We don't, we're not a theocracy, right? So, how, how might I apply? That's why I said broader faith community. If I hear of another church, it could be another church in my town, it could be another church that I follow, another, a community of believers, a faith community. If I hear of them and they are following after false things, they are teaching false things, they are worshiping God in the ways that, that pagans worship God. If I hear this, then I need to investigate. I don't need to just knee-jerk reaction, walk away and say, oh, this person who, who, who is um, you know, a, a heresy hunter, this person has said this person speaks heresies. And so therefore I'm not. No, I need to go and listen to that person myself and I need to do a thorough investigation because I might be reacting to someone else who's operating in heresy. I might be operating to someone and, and reacting to someone else who's got an ax to grind about a certain person or a certain type of theology. I need to go and say, okay, hey, I've not heard that thing. Let me hear some of their teachings. And I need to, I need to weigh and test some of their teachings. And if, in fact, they are starting to call things good that God calls evil, I need to purge the evil from among me. I, I need to stop listening, stop following that faith community. I need to stop associating with that faith community. I need to stop associating with that group of people, right? Perhaps that's how this could apply. But Moses is saying, you need to do a thorough investigation of that city. And if it is in fact true that they're all being led astray, then verse 15, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to death, devoting them to destruction. And that's that word haram that we've talked about. Now, all throughout Deuteronomy, for the most part, haram has talked about um, devoting something to destruction, which means completely wiping it out, setting it apart to the Lord. It either gets consecrated as holy or it gets destroyed. Right? And so we've talked about how that's mostly used in the book of Deuteronomy is in those cities where there are Nephilim or the lines of the Nephilim, that's where the destruction is taking place. That's what we see Joshua doing. This use is different because this is talking about a time after the conquest, after Joshua has gone and after the people find rest. All the, the people have been driven out. So this now is is a different kind of setting. And in that setting, if your people in that particular city are worshiping other gods or worshiping God in a way that he did not instruction, you should devote them to destruction. Why? Because that's what God instructed them back in Exodus chapter 22. Verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any God, that means other than Yahweh, other than the Lord alone, shall be devoted to destruction. God takes the allegiance of his people seriously and he takes rebellion against him seriously. And we see that here because under the theocracy of the nation of Israel, they were to put them to death. Okay? We are not a theocracy. We are not going around putting people to death. Okay? Now, you should go take the application and say this is serious to God. God takes rebellion against him seriously. And allegiance to him must be above anything else, and nothing else can compete with it. And so if even the closest relationships in our life start to compete with our allegiance to God, that must be dealt with decisively. That may be a confrontation. That may be a severing of a relationship after a time where confrontation and there's no repentance, but it must not be swept under the rug. If it's going to lead me astray, I must deal with People of God must not allow themselves to be drawn away from God. So as I think, I I mean, I've tried to drop examples in there for us today, but here's a few others. Because you might think, well, I don't have idols. I don't have actual statues. Some of you actually might. And I'm gonna just repeat this again to you. Go through your house, look at your pictures on your wall, your artwork, your statues. some maybe some of the, the jewelry that you have. Do you have anything that is representative of another religion? You might call it art. But if it is a Buddha statue or a Hindu god statue or it's a gift that's been given to you and maybe it's a charm that represents a certain thing in another religion, you need to seriously consider destroying that. Get it out of your house. If you have a picture on your wall that depicts something that, that, that might be art and culture to you but is depicting the worship of another god, you need to get rid of it. It should not be among you. It should not be in your house and it's very possible, I always go back to 1 Corinthians 10 for this, it's possible that what you might be experiencing, if you have sickness, if you have some kind of disease, it's possible, it's a category that you might have some of those because of that's in your house. You need to purge it from your house. Have a bonfire. Have a bonfire. I, I'm, you think I'm, I, just, I don't just say this from the stage, by the way. I told someone that personally the other day when they found something in their house that was of the, uh, the temple of Satan. I said, burn it. If you can burn it, burn it, but get it out of your house. That's, that's personal advice I give to people, not just from the stage. So you need to get rid of it. Here's some other things you need to watch out for that has creeped in. Crystals. Do you use crystals? Do you use crystals for, for, for different reasons to, for worship or um, you use them to conjure up other spirits or to interact with other spirits or maybe people that you think are past dead ones, uh, loved dead ones, right? Are Are you using crystals? get them out of your house. That's New Age theology that's coming in, and those things are not innocent. Now, if you're like, I have crystals, but they're not anything religious, fine. If you're, like just, you're a geologist and you collect rocks, fine. That's different. But if you have crystals, and those crystals you, you think are going to you know, settle the, the, the peace in your house or I don't know, um, bring feng shui or, you know, something like that where it's just going to set the aura right in your house. I'm, I'm dabbling in things I don't really know a whole lot about, just, just service level. So I might be mixing and action. But if you use crystals for those kind of reasons, get rid of them, destroy them, break them up. Don't go pawn them off and make them someone else's problem. Destroy them. Crystals, psychics, mediums, tarot cards, um, go into someone who's gonna interact with uh, what, you, what you think is a dead loved one. Do not do it. Those things are not innocent. Those things are worshiping gods in a different way that God has called us to worship. They are worshiping created spiritual beings who are in rebellion, and they are either posing as your loved dead ones, they're called familiar spirits, or you are opening portals, you are opening doors. You must not do those things. Oh, but we were just on a trip to New Orleans we went down Bourbon Street, and we thought it might be fun to have our palms read. Repent of that. Confess it, renounce it. You have no idea what, what may have been opened. It may have opened nothing. Confess it as sin, call it as God sees it, renounce it. I renounce this in the name of Jesus. I see it as sin. I do not agree with it anymore. I should not have done it. I repent of it now in Jesus' name. Repent of it because that may have opened something. And again, it may be uh, the, the cause, the root cause of something that maybe you're experiencing in your life, but it is worshiping created things. And going against the creator, don't do it. And I mentioned the temple of Satan. Listen, it's, it's a real thing. Some of y'all have personal experience with encountering these throughout the city because of your jobs or things like that, or maybe you, you've known people, but the temple of Satan is a real thing. It is disguised oftentimes like an angel of light. It's, it's put forward just like it's any other religion, like just like a Buddhist who's peaceful or some, uh, uh, some Hindu who's practicing. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just part of the smorgasbord of religions that we have here in a pluralistic place. Do not do it. Don't cast spells. Don't pursue magic. Don't seek out spells to be cast. Don't go in front of a mirror and say Bloody Mary three times because you're trying to conjure up the spirit of Bloody Mary. I did it as a kid. I know. Ouija boards. Don't do it. You're trying to talk to to love dead ones, but any interaction that's legit becomes spiritual in nature. It is a spiritual being in rebellion against God deceiving you. Do not do it. So now, do you think that we have outside and inside threats that might pull us away from worshiping God in the ways that he calls us? Yeah. So listen, if I just hit on something that you've been a part of and you have not already renounced it, do it. But in the name of Jesus, I renounce that. I didn't see it as sin, or I took it lightly, didn't think it was a big deal. But now I'm, I'm renouncing that. I do not agree with that. I know it goes against you. I repent of that, and I, I am confessing that sin. And then receive the forgiveness of Christ. If you think something has come in to afflict you because of that, of opening door, let's visit. Or visit with one of our prayer team members. They're, they've been trained for this kind of stuff now. And I'm seeing it, so It's happening. People of God must not allow themselves to be drawn away from God. So Father, as we wrap this up, there are so many threats. There are so many things, but but I'm reminded of Jesus' words as he stood at Caesarea Philippi at the very place that was called the gates of Hades. And he said, the gates of Hades will not stand against the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Not even death. Not even things that are associated with death. Not even things that are associated with the underworld, spirits, rebelling against God. None of those things can can overwhelm your purpose and plan for your people. You will build your church. But God, we don't want to be people that are led astray. We don't want to be people who are lulled to sleep, who think that we are walking in your ways and yet we are being led astray because we think we're being nice or we're being tolerant or we're being loving or we're just trying to keep the peace God, help us to stir up within us that sense of justice and righteous anger when something comes to threaten allegiance to you. Let us not become lax or lazy or comfortable with the things that are around us in a pluralistic world. Let us be knowledgeable. Let us be gentle as doves, but shrewd as serpents. Let us know you more and more continually deeper so that we might know the things that are not of you. Let us learn to know your voice and to follow you that when something or someone else is speaking to us other than you, we might hear the difference. We might see the difference. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who has some of these things who have been led astray. God, your, your, your mercy would flood them now, that you would lead them to repentance and then remind them that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You're shining light on something that, that could be harmful to them, and so then you're calling them into light. So extend your mercy to them in Jesus' name. And then as we looked at these verses, it was such a serious deal because you're leading people in rebellion against the God who redeemed them, the God who led them out of slavery. God, you are the God who has redeemed us, and you have led us out of slavery Let us not go and worship someone else. Let us not go and give credit somewhere else. Let us not go and give our lives to someone else and be ensnared all over again when you, God, have set us free in Christ. And if someone here today needs to be set free, they need to be redeemed and brought out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light, God, show them that they might turn from their sin and trusting in whatever they've been trusting in instead turn and believe in your Savior. Jesus, that they might go from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved. So guide us, Lord, teach us, humble us that we might hear and follow. All in the name of Jesus Christ the risen Lord. Amen. See you guys.